Welcome to Talk the Talk. I'm Bill Newman. And I'm Buzz Eisenberg. And I would like to begin by sharing with you this announcement from the Massachusetts Municipal Association. After six months of state tax collections falling short of benchmarks, the Healy Driscoll administration today, that was yesterday, announced $375 million in mid-year budget cuts under Section 9C. We'll get to that in just one second for fiscal 2024. Section 9C of Chapter 29 of state law gives the governor the authority to make unilateral budget cuts via executive or two executive branch agencies to balance the current year budgets. State tax collections for the first half of 2024 are $769 million or 4.1% below the year-to-date benchmarks. The administration has directed spending reductions across the board, but not actually across the board. They are specified cuts, and there is a list of many, many agencies that are going to have their budgets cut. The remaining shortfall, the administration has identified opportunities, well, to increase non-tax revenue. We can talk about that as well. With us to help us understand what is happening, we have Representative Patricia Duffy. She's the representative for the 5th Hamden District, which is traditionally known as the Holyoke District, but it's actually Holyoke plus one precinct in Chicopee as well. Rep. Duffy, thanks so much for being with us. <clears throat> Why is this happening and what does it mean? Well, good morning. <laughs> so, uh, I, and, happy, uh, and happy new year. And happy new year. Happy new year. Um, certainly, uh, there were conversations before the end of, um, of the year. You know, we had a lot of months where it's not that tax revenue is falling. It's that we and we all have to take responsibility for this. The legislature, the administration, we, uh, uh, based our fiscal 2024 uh, spending plans on a really optimistic budget. And um, guess what? Uh, we were wrong about that. The t- so it's not the tax revenues are falling. They're about where or just like or just above where they were last year, which is all good, but they're not where we thought they were going to be. So the um, the budget that we optimistically crafted uh the governor has taken the first step of um she has the power to make unilateral cuts and she's she's making some of those cuts and she ha- uh, she has to i mean the state law requires uh, yeah. a balanced budget and the exactly. budget's out of balance she has to cut i mean there's no choice right that's that's um yes uh the the budget has to be balanced um and Hang on one second. My uh, line is ringing, and I'm going to shut it off. Uh, the joys of live radio. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, uh, the, ba- the budget has to be balanced, and this is the best of the options that are in front of state government. Um, it's, you know, it's not a great option, but uh, it's better than, uh, I don't know, draconian uh huge layoffs et cetera et cetera et cetera so um so i i'm also i'm also like digging into this just as you are you know we got this list of like a long list of line items where uh there's uh been spending cuts and i honestly am just starting to uh pour through it my own self 
The headline, <clears throat> excuse me, from the Massachusetts Municipal Association's announcement, the headline is this, Administration Makes 9C Budget Cuts. That's uh, Section 9C, Budget Cuts, but Avoids Cutting Local Aid. And that seems to be significant, that the local municipalities are not going to have their uh, uh, money from the state reduced. That includes uh, money for education, money for roads and the like. So that seems to be to be a place where the governor has drawn a line and said, no, we're not going to reduce those appropriations in those areas. Uh, I take it that's something that you would feel good about. A hundred percent. You know, as I said, uh, 9C cuts, uh, they're they're always tough. But uh, right now, I would say it's correct that they're the best in a line of, you know, tough choices to make. And there's a perfect example. Uh, I 100 percent support, you know, our local municipalities. They've got to depend on the, uh, that education money. That money is crucial to Holyoke and other cities in the, uh, and towns in the area. Um, infrastructure and transportation funding, crucial. Uh, the local aid that we promised at the beginning as uh, cities craft their own budgets that also have to be balanced, yeah, we can't pull back on those promises. So when you say that the budget was premised on optimistic projections, I'm a little unclear what that means. Doesn't the uh, uh, state have an obligation, uh, uh, administration and finance have an obligation to give its most realistic uh, uh, projections of what revenue will be so the legislature can act appropriately? I mean, it's not a matter of do we feel good or do we feel bad, or are we optimistic or pessimistic. It's supposed to say, here's what, or here's our best estimate of what revenues will be. Isn't that the way it's supposed to work? That's the way it's supposed to work, and uh, you know, we all make mistakes. This um, this happened one year ago. We're actually going through this process right now for as we um, get ready to craft the uh, 2020, the fiscal year 2025 budget. So. One year ago, um, it's called uh, revenue consensus. There's a number of hearings, uh, and just about this time last year, the uh, the new administration, her new administration and finance chief, who has served in that role in other administrations, so um, he's an experienced guy, um, and our uh, Ways and Means chairs, who are also both very experienced, uh, made a tax revenue estimate of over $40 billion for this year. And then you you set up benchmarks based on um, past performance, and um, we just we haven't hit them. So I think we can all look back and say that was too optimistic, but it wasn't based on nothing. It's, you know, the, con- the revenue consensus hearings, you know, economists come in, and um, I was just at the uh, the revenue consensus hearings for fiscal year 2025, and uh, there was a lot of talk about we need to be more prudent in this coming year, and it's where we started to hear a lot of conversation about uh, we we were too optimistic. Well, about fiscal year 2024. Well, that that gets us to I think what is a crucial question, which is looking at fiscal year 25, 
that's the budget the legislature is about to craft now. It goes into effect presumably on July 1st of uh, 2024. Are we looking at lower revenues and uh, state cuts going forward? Is this a uh, a precursor, these cuts, these 9C cuts, a precursor of what we're looking at in the next year or not? What is going to be the, well, consensus on how much money the state is going to have available to spend? The um, the uh, they, there actually has been a preliminary uh, consensus published, and it's it's flat. It's uh, you know we're cutting back on this year's expectations, and then we're expecting fiscal year 2025. We're going to base our budget based on um, flat tax revenue. So, you know, I went to those revenue consensus hearings and even the most conservative economists, while they were um, saying, hey, you guys, you need to be more prudent in your um, your projections, they were still saying, you know, we don't see a recession coming. So, you know, it's it's not all bad news, but... um, we we are going to have to work through our over optimistic projections. So Pat Duffy, this is Buzz. There, there's a hey. very, hi. Uh, there's a very hi. interesting <laughs> article on the front page of the Boston Globe this morning. The uh, is written by Jeremy Fox and Christina Prignano, and it's extremely well researched. And it says uh, here are the highest earnings earners for the uh, Massachusetts uh, state payroll. For 2023, the article then explains that even though we've lost 1,200 employees, um, that the uh, state payroll rose by 4%, and it then has a list of the highest earners. It comes to about $390 million increase, uh, that 4% of $9.33 billion. At the top is Francisco Martin. He's the head basketball coach of the University of Massachusetts. He earned last year one million six hundred and fifty seven thousand dollars it has about 25 people going down to the chairman of a department uh almost none of these are there's like three professors uh on this list but they, it's about a half a million dollars or more um a number of people i mean the the uh michael collins the chancellor um 1.4 million dollars in salary and it, the article basically lays out at the same time that we're cutting, we're looking, should we go to municipalities? Where should we be cutting? It's talking about these very high income. I know it's not easy to unpack these kinds of things, but it seems to me that we should be looking at this. No? Well, also, so you have the advantage of having it in front of you. So, uh, you know, I would need to look at the list. But I'll say if I look at any organization, I'm as a opposed to the size of the payroll, I'm more interested in um, the distribution of the payroll. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I'm, and it's not just because I'm an elected official and I'm on the state payroll. I'll, I, no matter where I worked, I'll never knock public servants actually, you know, being paid decently so that we can attract good people. Um, but if, you know, I were to look at the research behind that article and see that the state payroll is, is skewed and uh, a little too top-heavy. 
yeah, then I would agree with you. We'd need to look at that. But I do. I sitting here right now. I don't know the answer to that question. Actually, I don't know it either. But it's very interesting and appropriate to talk about. Oh, when we're oh talking you gotta about look at it. Cuts. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, you gotta look at it. Absolutely. It's a complicated question because the issue becomes when you're hiring for a basketball coach, it's where the basketball program is going to bring in millions of dollars uh, to the the university. When you're trying to hire uh, chief administrators, you're in a competitive market. You have to pay yeah. in order to get the best people. What the market says the the going rate is, and I don't think that someone, much as they might love the idea of coming to UMass Amherst or UMass Boston is going to say, well, I'll work for a half a million dollars less than I can get at the University of Ohio or Michigan or wherever. So yeah. it's not it's not independent of, doesn't exist in its own in a vacuum. I agree, but I, I think when UMass tried to expend money on the theory that it would bring in money to enhance a football program, it ended up backfiring. And some people argue that the revenues that are brought in through the basketball program are offset by what they could bring in if they just put that into academics and the like. So I don't know the answer either, but it's an interesting thing we should look at. We are talking to Representative Patricia Duffy. She's the representative from the 5th Hamden District. That's Holyoke. And Holyoke was one of, I believe, the three municipalities in the state that had its own representative in the state. The 5th Hamden District is now Holyoke plus one precinct in Chicopee. When we come back, we're going to talk to the representative. Will the millionaires tax money will the fair share amendment money be sequestered and be used for what the voters said it is going to be and should be used for in light of these reductions in state revenue we'll be right back i would have given you all of my heart but there's someone who's torn it apart and she's taken just all that I had But if you want, I'll try to love again You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. WHMP. We continue our conversation with State Representative Patricia Duffy. Pat Duffy is the representative for the 5th Hamden District. That's Holyoke plus one precinct uh, in Chicopee. And we turn our attention now to the fair share amendment projected of, well, budget good news, $2 billion additional for transportation and education. Raising the question, given the shortfalls that we began our conversation with today, Representative, uh, is this money that is supposed to be devoted to transportation and education, in fact, going to be devoted to transportation and education? Will the money be sequestered? Will they be additional dollars? Or will the taxpayers, again, see something like, well, there's money available so we can rate it for other things, we being the legislature? So make me feel better. So yeah, uh, you, I will make you feel better. And it's, I think it's a great juxtaposition because the voters – uh, you know, we have these budget challenges and we've got to figure out the smartest, fairest uh, way to deal with them. But at the same time, the voters changed our state constitution so that there would be a 4% <laughs> surtax on any income over a million dollars. 
and that money has been put aside in a fair share uh, trust fund where it can only be spent on education and transportation, which is what the voters asked us to do. And I, I think they were right to ask us to do this, uh, especially if you're looking at tough economic times. Investment in education and transportation remains absolutely crucial. Um, so here's where we're at now. We um, we projected it's looking like it's going to be uh, well over a billion dollars, but we projected one billion dollars, and we uh, split that revenue uh, 50/50. So. 50% of it is going to education. And some examples of what it's paying for is there's $175 million going to make sure that public schools provide uh, school meals to everybody free of charge. Um, $100 million to the school building authority to help um, move along important school building uh, 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 programs. Um, $50 million in addition to create Green School Works, uh, which is a competitive grant program to uh, make school buildings uh, cleaner, smarter, more energy efficient. Um, uh, $50 million to uh, make community college free for everyone over the age of 25 for folks going into nursing and for folks going into behavioral health because we need that labor force. Um, so th those are examples of where the, where the education money is going. Uh, transportation, $500 million. Um, so a lot of that, and I too have my uh, uh, issues with that. A lot of that is going to the MBTA in Boston. It is true. Um, $90 million is going to our regional transit authorities. And, and then there's, within that is $100 million that's supplementing the regular Chapter 90 regular funding that um, cities and towns get every year. We, we added $100 million to that Chapter 90 funding. And I think that's led this, – this money just um, – was just announced, like Holyoke got $400,000. And uh, I think it confused some people. And uh, it, we, we, as a state government, didn't do a good job explaining, like, this is part of the $500 million that's going to transportation from the fair share amendment. The other $500 million is going to education. So we are splitting it 50-50, as, as the voters asked us to. So, Rep. Duffy, how do we know that this money is, I don't know quite how to phrase this, but extra money or money that would not normally be in the state budget and therefore is receiving additional money as opposed to, well, we don't have to put this in the state regular budget because the fair share amendment money will take care of it. It wasn't the most articulate question, but can you help me <laughs> understand? Well, I mean, it's the voters put this into the state constitution. You know, that I mean, the voters changed the Constitution saying that we're collecting this, uh, this surtax, this extra money, and it has to go to education and transportation. Um, you know, it can't be going like paying interest on some borrowing or, you know, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So 
you know, as always, Bill, you have to hold us accountable. But um, this is what this is the plan that we've set up. We've set up an, an, a trust fund for it's called the Fair Share Trust Fund. It's like it's in the books now, and um, that's where that money is going. Our plan right now is to continue to split it 50-50. That, you know, that may be a conversation in years to come. I can't hold, like, future governments to to that um, obligation. But right for for the foreseeable future, I think that's what we want to do, 50-50 split. Representative Pat Duffy, when you say Chapter 90, people know, I think that they know that we are talking about uh, (laughs) – those funds that go to, to municipalities for transportation, for road repair, uh, and the like. There's long been a controversy about whether it's fair to rural uh, municipalities right. that there's an, right. a, a formula for Chapter 90, which is about 60% of it goes to uh, local road mileage that is determined by how many mileage is in your local road. But a lot of it has to do with uh, the extent of employment so that a town which has more employment gets more Chapter 90 funds per the legislative uh, apportionment, the formula, yeah. than one that doesn't have much employment. I'm wondering if that's – does that carry over into the fair share amendment funds, the same apportionment? Good question. I'm so glad you asked because uh, you're right, and I think that that's a, I think that's a worthwhile debate uh, about how we – uh, allocate Chapter 90 funds. This $100 million that we have taken from the fair share uh, revenue fund, it's actually there's actually an additional formula so that uh, rural communities are getting more. And, uh, you know, it's our good friends in the Western Mass delegation uh, really pushed for that. So uh, the apportionment of the money does... Uh, does help rural communities. It's not. It's not the exact same formula for this uh, for this allotment of money. So, following up on that, uh, Representative, how do you feel about and is it fair uh, that the MBTA is getting so much money? And not, not that it's not needed. God knows. Um, right. 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 Um, you know we. Uh, we across the Commonwealth, we all need a vibrant capital city. So, you know, and I'm a big believer in uh, in public transportation, and certainly it's needed. All I just want to say is, you know, if you're sending more money to the MBTA, you've got to send more money to the um, RTAs too. I mean, people talk about the difference in the, the rural trends out here. Yeah, I mean, people forget that. A huge addition to the cost of living out here is that, you know, most of us need to have a car out here. You can live in Boston without a car. Um, so, so yes, it's, you know, send money to the MBTA, but also send money to the regional transit authorities. We have been speaking with Representative Patricia Duffy. She is the representative from the 5th Hamden District. That's Holyoke Plus one precinct in Chicopee. Representative, we really appreciate your time and your insights, your leadership. Thank you so very much for being with us today. Oh, thank you so much for the great questions and the great discussions. We'll be right back. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg.